Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Matt Coopers. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So give me a little background. Um, well, before that, I, I want to tell our audience, um, Matt's a little unique because Matt actually gave me a referral even before he was a guest on the show. So, <laughs> Matt, you are a, like a superstar guest already. You're you're like a five-star guest. So, so I really want to appreciate it. He, he was the one that... Uh, that sent us the name for Letitia Sigla. So mm-hmm. she, it was a great interview about, probably uh, went live about four weeks ago. But uh, Matt, thank you for, for that referral. But but this show is about you. So tell us a little bit about Matt Coopers. Um, yeah, I live in London. I'm German. Uh, I've been living here for almost 10 years. So I consider myself as being a German Londoner in, in London called Startup Manufactory. So and what we do is we consult people looking to start a business early stage startups. Mm-hmm. Um, we also teach entrepreneurship at universities. Um, I'm currently building a program for the London School of Economics. Um, it's an online 300 hour program focused um, on yeah how to start a business basically for undergrads. Mm-hmm. And then we also um, um, advise uh, governmental organizations, currently the European Commission, where we act as um, evaluators and advisors to um, startup ecosystem development projects throughout Europe. So yeah, that's what we do. Um, these are the three different um, activities we engage in, in the UK, in Europe as well. And we're currently also expanding outside of Europe, um, mainly to West Africa, maybe the Caucasus region, region as well. Yeah. Um, but mainly we are basically born and, and grew up business-wise in, in London. So we have a very strong competitive focus in a way, private sector, but we are also now covering um, or going after the, the public sector. Right. So, I mean, what you just described, you talk about the extremes of development, you know, going from Western Europe to the Caucasus or going from Western Europe to West Africa. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that basically the business principles are, are basically, you know, they're static. So they're mm-hmm. they're universal. But just just give me a, a this is a little off script here, but uh, now that you mentioned it, give me give me one or two challenges that you've seen so far going, you know, transferring, say, the principles of startup manufacturing to West Africa or the Caucasus. Um, I think in general, it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, London is very competitive. It's a global city. Um, prior to that, I worked in venture capital. I started a business myself with a couple of friends, um, internet business as well. So, um, and in London, I guess you have to really kind of work hard and, and be very smart at the same time. And people have an MBA, they come here from all over the world. So you kind of are very strategically opportunistic and it's, it's quite an accepted culture, I would say. Um, what I have observed in general in Europe is um, that the countries that have a primarily um, Protestant or Calvinist um, culture, they're a bit more competitive, they're more sales-oriented, they're a bit more um, about trade, exploration. If you go to the more Catholic-slash-Orthodox um, Christian countries, such as the Balkans, um, Spain, Italy, Portugal, people are less um, entrepreneurial, it's less ingrained in the culture, and also building wealth and creating wealth um, is less part of the the underlying culture, and in the Caucasus, it's it's the same. You have mainly the Orthodox Church, uh-huh. um, you have the former Ottoman Empire, so that has a bit of a different um, 
feel to it and also the impact and also the fact that those countries used to be socialist and, you know, Russia, the Soviet Union, communist as well, right. um, which had a massive impact on obviously on on the population and on the culture um, where entrepreneurship wasn't really something that was hailed as as, as the new way of life, as sure. it is, say, in the Western countries or in the U.S. as well. So that has a bit of an impact. So um, to, to cut a long story short, it's basically the sociocultural fabric that that is different when it comes to um, entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. How, however, those countries and the governments and especially many developing agencies have to discovered entrepreneurship as a tool for economic development, mm -hmm. creating growth, creating jobs, um, and they are jumping on it basically. And there's a lot of money pouring into these regions now, not only the, the Caucasus, but also the Western Balkans, um, the southern fringes of Europe, the southwestern fringes. Spain, Portugal now, where we also operate. Right. Um, and you can basically see that it has an, an impact, uh, effect. So it, it is really, um, yeah, it's quite interesting to, to work um, in that area and also see these sort of cultural differences. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me ask a follow-up question to that. As you're, as you're kind of describing the different re religious climate of mm -hmm. the countries that affecting, say, the economic climate, how much of that is, is like anecdotal and how much of that is is statistically proven do you, you understand the background of the question I mean, yeah so i mean that anecdotal doesn't necessarily mean wrong it just means mm. you know ha, is there are there studies that say yes this is because that that what you said is very interesting to me that you know mm -hmm. how those the religious climate would affect the the economic climate it makes perfect mm -hmm. sense but I, i'm just curious if that had actually had been you know researched deeply and and you know shown that this is this is actually trending you know in, in these directions yeah um to be honest i'm not so sure if there's um some really hardcore research or statistical facts around that um however there's a book by written by a sociologist called max weber um, max weber um, in the mm -hmm. late 19th century who was actually writing about the um the protestant ethics um and there he highlights the yeah the Protestant ethics basically also when it comes to business and trade and compares that to other religions. But he's also pinpointing down the fact that Protestants have a different approach to business and creating wealth and how that has an impact on areas where these religions are predominant. So, I mean, if you do a bit of research, I'm sure there's there's a few things about that. Right, um, right. But maybe, maybe not to the extent other topics sure. um, terms of diversity also sure. have been researched so far. But it's what I gathered from my observations right. and, and discussions right. with people. So that's that's um, what I personally can have observed. Really. Right. Well I and I I didn't I wasn't in any way questioning the validity of that of that mm. viewpoint. I just wanted to know where the kind of what the basis was because I mean I have yeah. a similar viewpoint uh, mm -hmm. when I look at the UK versus the US. So when the U.S. was founded, you know, 250 years ago, um, mm -hmm. it was founded by, from a religious standpoint, you know, primarily separatists. Yeah. So the Puritans stayed in the U.K. The separatists actually came to the U.S. So mm -hmm. that might my, my theory is that that's that's an, another reason that the U.S. has had such an entrepreneurial you know, mm. mindset as well. So I, I, it's very interesting what you were saying about the different countries and their religious background, uh, their religious, I guess, uh, predominant uh, religious ethic, 
you know how it would affect their economic ethics as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't want to belabor that point, but it is that's just <laughs> so interesting to me. But I do want to get back just to you and and your startup. So tell us a little bit uh, in a little more in depth about manufacturing. So yeah, what we do is basically um, it's owned by myself and my partner Leticia. So we own 50-50 mm-hmm. um, of the company. We've been around for four and a half years. And how it all started was actually, I just came out of a startup, which I co-founded with a friend back in 2011. Um, that was a restaurant search engine, which allowed you to find restaurants based on a dish search. So you can search for hamburgers or schnitzel or biryani, and then would give you the long list of all restaurants um, where you can get this particular food. So. That didn't really went well. Um, we did a lot of, we spent a lot of time product development. Um, I did lots of search engine optimization. Um, we went from 80 visits a day to 1,300 visits a day in six months. Wow. Um, we were quite nerdy about the whole thing. My business partner back then, he had an MBA from London Business School, but he was also a developer and he was developing the search engine. I was working with a website with the developers. Uh, I did the SEO. So. I think we ended up being making a classic mistake, which is ending up in a in a product development loop and mm-hmm. being very um, uh, almost uh, perfectionist around the product. Right. But we completely forgot forgot about doing what is actually the most important thing if you run a business. It's business development and making money and getting revenue. So, um, however, we had uh, a few div- um, investors mm-hmm. who invested in us, so that kept us alive. But at some point, it kind of dawned upon me that this might not be the best way forward. So right. I decided to give the shares back to my co-founder, um, call it a day, and then basically moved on. So that was a situation I, I was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty pretty skinned at the time as well. So mm. <laughs> um, that's, uh, yeah, lesson learned. Um, but at the time, um, that was in back in 2013, when the startup industry in London became a bit more mature and settled and all the accelerators sprung up. Um, and many of my friends actually left corporate London to start a business because it was the ecosystem was really big at the time. Right. Well, it's still big, but it, it really kind of you know, exploded. So yeah, and they all asked me, hey man, can you help me with a financial model, marketing, uh, SEO, whatever it was, smaller jobs. And that accumulated. And at some point, I realized this could be a business model, actually, um, helping people to start a business, working on all steps at, of the early stage right. process, basically. I did a design and did a sales deck, and that was it. So, yeah. So the basic services, what are, what are the primary services that you provide to, say, startups? Yeah. So we had a bit of an evolution as well, like a genesis, if you like. So. Uh-huh. Um, I had a few clients I worked with before I started, and then I started Startup Manufactory. Um, and then we mainly focused on um, early stage startups, meaning business model development. Um, we did some websites, online marketing, branding. We have fundraising as well. We mm-hmm. fundraised 500,000 euros from a European investor. Um, but basically all the early stage things, pre-revenue, post-ideation, uh, writing business plans, doing financial models, so everything that needs to be done. It's a bit like in the US, and you know, a friend of mine actually said to me at the time when I started, and I told him about the idea. He said, um, "It's a bit like in you know, in the US in Klondike, 
uh, during the gold rush. Yeah. The people that actually made money were the people selling the shovels. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so You're exactly right. Yeah, so that, that's that some, odd person that, that strikes it rich. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the, the, the first sort of stage. Um, in 2015, uh, we got approached by a few universities mm -hmm. in London, and they asked us, hey, you guys work with startups. Can you teach as well? So we developed a three-month program for a French business school based in London. And, yeah, and then we took it from there. We, I went to LSE, my, my alumni, uh, my alma mater. And we did a few workshops, London Business School as well. So, yeah, and then we basically added that to, to our uh, service portfolio. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, um, I was approached by the European Commission, and they were looking for independent experts, people that are familiar with entrepreneurs, starting a business, um, servicing entrepreneurs, right. um, having gone through the process themselves. And they were looking for experts to help evaluate um, grant uh, applications mm. from European ecosystem developers, basically, mm -hmm. or agencies. People are involved with building cross-country um, ecosystems. Yeah, so I started that as well. And um, yeah, this is where we are right now. So we still work with startups. I'm just about signing up a new client, uh, two guys from Dubai looking to start a business in London. I'm developing an entrepreneurship program for LSE. And we work with the European Commission currently, where we develop, um, yeah, some some metrics and everything. So yeah, that's where we are right now. Now, what's the what's the scope of your ideal client? Is it is it somebody that that uh, I mean, is it a one person, uh, you know, startup that's kind of bootstrapping this? Is it somebody that's got some early stage seed round money? I mean, what's the what is your what's your avatar in essence? What's your ideal client for manufacturing? Mm. So the ideal client would be someone who has a business idea, um, who's willing to launch a business, um, not just dreaming, but also, you know, really taking the next step. Someone who's a bit more mature, um, say 35 year old plus. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm saying that because I think for the younger folks, they're better off in an accelerator. Yeah. Um, various, our clients are more, they're just too busy for that. They have commitments, they have family. Or they have started a business before, and they just need a quick business plan, a financial model, a strategy, um, support with fundraising. Mm -hmm. So someone who's a bit more mature, who's determined, um, who has maybe less financial constraints as well, because right. obviously there's a price tag that comes sure. with it. Um, we're not that expensive. So it's not crazy PwC, KPMG yep. level, and yet there's uh, there's a bit of a price to it. Um, but for in return, they, they get people that... Um, have gone through the whole process themselves. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it's quite authentic too. So that's the level actually we're, we're looking at. I mean, I love the analogy of the, of the, 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 say the 49ers gold rush that <laughs> the ones that are making the money are the ones that are selling the supplies, yeah. you know, to those that are trying to make it rich. But so since you've started manufacturing, what are, what would you say would be the, um, the, the one or two biggest pain points that, that you experience? What, what is something that maybe our listeners could be could speak into, you know, from a feedback standpoint? You say, okay, here's the two things we struggle with greatly. You know, how do we? These are two things that we're really struggling to overcome. You know, as a because mm -hmm. in essence, you're you're like a startup for startups. Yeah. You know, you're still you're still. I mean, even four years in, you're still kind of early stage. You know, in mm -hmm. this in this process and kind of in, still in the development stage. But so, what would you say would be the say the one or two highest you know obstacles that you and Letitia mm -hmm. have? have encountered or, or currently encounter on an ongoing basis? 
Um, I think the one of the biggest struggles was actually figuring out how to operate the business or how to run it. And I initially had the idea of building an agency with 20, 50 or so people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a few people working with me in the past who dropped out of the corporate jobs, the corporate roles. But I guess they didn't really have the ability to be an independent person, someone who has the skill set going out, getting business, um, driving sales, um, delivering on projects, and also understanding the whole concept, basically. Mm-hmm. So, and I think at some point I decided to go solo for some time, um, and then Letitia joined me, mm-hmm. and now we have a pool of independent consultants, basically, we use for on-off, uh, for projects on on-off basis. So, and that works much better, and I guess the biggest struggle I had um, was actually to understand this particular thing. So I had the idea of hiring employees, putting people on payrolls, getting an office and all that. So, But I guess it's not the way it works because um, you can only operate that kind of business with certain people that are also a bit more mature in life, that are a right. bit more looking for independence. So that was a big struggle I had, I think like two years ago, um, when I came to the realization that this is actually the way it does not work. Um, and now we are currently moving towards the next stage of our startup development, where we are also looking to um, to pitch for tenders and for grants, and we start collaborating with other similar companies around Europe, and we have formed the relationships now, and now we're in the process of bidding for a couple of tenders. So the pain point, I guess, um, has is actually kind of subsiding a bit, if that makes sense, and it started about two years ago, and I realized about a year ago, um, that this is the the way I want to operate. So that was quite, um, yeah, quite quite painful in a way because it kind of torpedoes your your initial idea, and you really have to face up to the fact that your initial idea or your concept you're actually pursuing for a long time is is not valid, and mm. it has been invalidated by the fact that um, I wasn't able to find or to find people that um, weren't suited for what I want to do. So it was a bit of a process coming home to myself, if that makes sense. And I think if you know yourself inside out, how you work, how you want to work, then it's much easier to find other people that suit you and you suit them, um, uh, as opposed to not being aware of how you actually want to work. And especially in consulting, where you don't have a tangible product or like a production facility or restaurant, um, it's it's a very much it's highly driven it's a very people thing sure. so you have to click on on various levels and it makes things a bit more complex but yeah I think uh, we now went through this sort of pain point um, and I learned a lot about it so about myself so yeah that's that's I guess the biggest pain so point big we had was, so far so really it's really just kind of reshaping the your original business model and mm-hmm. just kind of adjusting to like the new normal. You know, yeah. based on what you are. So, what would be another one that that you maybe this is ongoing that you know pain point that uh, that you experience? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll I'll be in awe if you've adjusted to <laughs> everything clicking along smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's also. Um, I mean, there, I think there are companies that find. Or let's put it this way: I have a friend in London. He's a lawyer. And I guess law always works, right? Lawyers make money when people get married, when they buy a house. 
lawyers make money when they get divorced. Absolutely. When the, when the house burns down, right? So they always make money. Right. So <laughs> it's a business model that always kind of works. It's a bit like um, selling coffee, right? So people need coffee every day. So, um, but I guess if you do, if you work in a space um, which is startups, innovation, building up things, helping people to build things that rely on technology, but also on um, regulatory frameworks, um, people that operate internationally, you know, that's a different, that's a different ball game, really, I guess you always have to kind of keep up with the market, right, you have to keep up with the technology. And also you have to keep up with the with the trends, basically. And by trends, I mean, specifically, um, in London, I think we have 800 or so co working spaces, and they wow. all came up in the past 10 years or so. So and now it's very common in London. I think one out of nine or ten people, I guess, in London works in a co-working space, either as an independent consultant or as a you know, where people work through the internet um, independently. So and that hasn't existed, say, ten years ago or so, right? But hundred or five hundred years ago, lawyers existed. Obviously, they have to adjust, maybe, but only maybe every fifty years or so, various what we do in startup and entrepreneurial consulting, we have to adjust much quicker. Right. So, and I guess retaining the agility, um, keeping an eye on the market, and also having the ability to reshape your services and reshape yourself constantly, um, that's something very important for, right. for what we do, actually. And this is something you find rarely in, in people, especially right. people with a corporate background are kind of struggling with that. But um, there are also lots of people that um, that are really well versed for for what we, we do. So, especially yeah. as the as your business cycle, I and mean, you were describing kind of the business cycle of attorneys, it's it's almost like a flat line, you know, because mm. it's a constant. But yours would be certainly a lot more cyclical, a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and there are certain times a year, even that I think startups are are more like you know first of the year happens you know startups start up a lot more January one than probably you know September first. So, um, I mean, it's just a unique unique space that that you've kind of carved out you know for for startups another another thing that that um i wanted to ask you about is is there a a little bit of a a dichotomy between say you know you have a model that that you know would operate on revenue i mean you you have to you have to receive revenue for your services Mm -hmm. but the one thing that a business startup probably doesn't have is cash Mm. So, I mean, how do you how do you adjust to that? Like, it would be easier to come into a business that's, that's been operating for three years and try to kick it to the next level than it is yeah. to say, you know, come into something that's that somebody's trying to bootstrap and you're going, yeah, but you know, you you need to pay for our services up front. As mm. I mean, do you ever operate on like a revenue share model versus a you know just a fee basis, or what are some of the uh, some of the things you've considered with your with your company as far as revenue is concerned? Yeah, so it's a fair Equity point. Equity share, anything? Uh, no, it's a fair point. And I think at the beginning I was uh, targeting startups that are actually not having any any revenues in or any money at all. So, And I think if you go more upstream in the market, uh-huh. if you find people that are in their 30s, in their 40s, looking to start a business, uh, maybe a bit on the side for starters, whilst they're running you know, another business or having another job, they are much more inclined to obviously allocate a certain budget for it. Sure. So that's one thing. Right. Um, we have international clients. Um, we have clients from Dubai, from Moscow, from West Africa as well, coming into London 
and they are a bit more, um, say, less concerned about the financials. They're more concerned, obviously, about execution, about getting right. deliverables, such as a model, a financial model, or any support um, in London um, through our ecosystem. So it was a bit of a struggle, and I think, um, yeah, we still see mixed people, I would say, but also combined with the teaching, um, the universities, mm -hmm. combined with the governmental stuff we do as well, and that kind of works out quite well now. Right. But um, but I think startup uh, consulting alone, uh, you would have to do much more business development um, and a much stronger approach towards the marketing to get more clients. But right. but it works. So. Yeah, and it, yeah. it makes perfect sense as you're as you're dealing more with a, a more mature client base. I think your experience. Yeah. I think that that makes perfect sense. You know, mm. younger entrepreneurs that might be more cash strapped, so to speak, you know, you may, yeah. you may have more of an issue there. So well, let's, let's transition a little bit. I want to dig a little deeper into, into your head, into your psyche here. And, and uh, <laughs> let's just tell me who, who do you follow online that, that you would say really inspires you? Hmm. So, I mean, given my, my situation, the way I want to live um, and the way people are able to live now, meaning, being quite location independent, at the one hand, uh, working online, because I enjoyed. Um, so I, I don't know if you're familiar with Dory Clark. Yeah. Um, so I think what she has written about is quite inspiring in terms of how you can um, basically reinvent yourself as an independent consultant or independent right. person. Right. Um, you can scale um, uh, yeah, vertically, basically. And she works as a marketing um, expert, basically consultant. She's also teaching. Um, she's also speaking publicly. She's an author. Um, so she has these sort of verticals basically created for herself. They're all integrated. And it works quite well for herself. And with that, I think she speaks for the whole sort of new generation now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my generation, our generation, um, people that are a bit more, say, experienced in life, a bit more mature, but don't necessarily want want to work for someone else or for a big corporation and want to make use of the, the internet, uh, everything, the, the, li the liberty that comes with the modern technology. So, and that actually is the most, one of the most attractive things. And I think she kind of hits enough with that, mm -hmm. what she's writing about. So yeah, that's very inspiring. Yeah. Um, I, I so mean, I love that you keep referring to the, you know, the more mature ones. If you're mature, I must be uber mature. <laughs> I think we are similar age. <laughs> I like you. You have the gift of lying. <laughs> I have post a lot more gray in my beard. <laughs> post high school and before retirement. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's the similar age group. That's exactly right. So tell me, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love Dory. She's, I mean, she's, I've listened to so many podcasts that she's, mm -hmm. she's a, she is a, just a constant guest on podcasts. And mm -hmm. so it's, yeah. Just, she is she's extremely good. So tell me, is there a, a life quote that really inspires you that, you know, you something you've taped up beside your your laptop that you have on the wall or something you refer to on a regular basis that really is kind of the your your mantra, so to speak? Um, a life quote. Um, I don't know who's it by, but I guess someone said long time ago to me, um, it's not a shame to, to stumble and, you know, fall, but it's a shame not to get back up again. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, There's a lot of different iterations of that. Yeah. Failure yeah. is not falling. Failure is failing to get back up or something like that. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that is that's good. So one thing that reminded me, I, I, I forgot to mention earlier, is you you talked about you know trying to refine. I mean, in your in your first startup, the say the the menu search startup that mm-hmm. you were working on. It just yeah. reminded me, and it comes up so often on, on my podcast, is a quote by Reed Hoffman that says, if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, <laughs> you waited too long to launch. Yeah. And I, you know, I just loved, I just thought about that. And I mean, it, in the kind of the minimum viable product, the MVP mentality, mm. you know, so often we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and want to make sure it's right. And, and we, yeah. it's almost a perfectionist and it's kind of the, the analysis paralysis that we go through that says, you know, we can, we've got to make this better before we launch, mm. but really yeah. sometimes it's, it's launch it. And that it's the, it's the product cycle. We launch it, yeah. we get the feedback, we adjust, you know, and it, it's a mm. continuous cycle, but it has to be in the market to mm. be tested. And if it never gets off the shelf, then, then, uh, you know, it, it, you, yeah. you never see the feedback and it never gets in the cycle. So yeah. it's just interesting exactly. when you were, you were talking about that earlier, but so if you could go back, say, you know, prior to your starting up manufacturing or even maybe starting prior to starting up the the other startup that you had, what would Mm -hmm. be one solid piece of advice that you would give yourself today that you wish you would have known Mm. then? Um, Yeah. What would I what advice would I give to my to my younger self? There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think when it comes to the business, um, I think um, it sounds a bit harsh, but um, high is slow and fire fast. Yeah. So especially in consulting, um, y- you know, you have to be, you got to be nice and you have to have a high level of um, social intelligence, emotional intelligence. That's mm-hmm. all part of what you do in consulting. You sell yourself at the end of the day, um, not only business plans, say. But um, it is important that you find people that really fit your vision and yeah. fit your personality and vice versa all right and i mean there's a bit of a contrarian view at the one hand you can say um people grow into businesses or they need time on the other hand you know uh it's better to get maybe rid of someone um who doesn't not really fit and and maybe the there's a tipping point where basically the the struggle basically becomes too tough or too hard and then you let someone go so that's that's i think one thing um and I guess what I've learned now about myself and other people, um, people can acquire skills. That's not a big deal. And I guess people are always, you know, they're anal about skills on CVs and certificates and all that. But, you know, you can't change someone's personality yeah. or you cannot change someone's maybe outlook or vision. Right? Or maybe basic character. Yeah, it's well, yeah. So... I mean, everyone can do some training and acquire some skills, um, but I guess that's the key thing. So, and I think this is something I learned a bit um, too too late. Uh, not too late, but uh, I, you know, I should have learned it earlier. So, get rid of people that might not fit um, quicker, uh, and then also, if necessary, go for maybe longer stretches solo if required until yeah. you find the right people, but not just hire people because you have to get a few projects done or whatever. So that's uh, right. one of the most important things, I would say. I think that kind of goes along with your business model. Where When you have like a consultant pool, you can kind of draw on them without actually investing in them as an employee. 
you know, mm -hmm. and, and just it's almost like a, a trial period that you're working with people. And mm -hmm. and if if it doesn't work out, then you just don't hire them for the next job. So yeah. um, that is that is good advice. Good advice. So is there anything else that we haven't touched on in this in this interview that you want to add? And then I'm just going to circle back around with you and just just ask you how people can find you online and mm. and what's the best way to get in touch with you. But is there anything you want to add to the end of this? Um, so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, what we talked about, Dari Clark and the sort of independent thing. Um, I think for me, it took a long time to figure out. Um, it was like you know, well beyond 30, um, you know, it's like 35 or 36, I guess, um, where I actually ended up finding out how I wanted to work in life. Mm -hmm. um, and especially here in London, and, you know, I have friends, they spend a lot of time in, in corporate jobs, and they make a good living. But then, you know, at the end of the day, you sell yourself, basically, to someone else, you're part of someone else's business model, you're part of someone else's vision, right? and their so, dream, yeah. And that dream, yeah, or mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the corporate dream. So, and I find it important to, to have some time for yourself where you reflect on yourself, figure out who you are, what you want, figure out what you don't want for, in the first place as well. That's very important. And then go and do it. And many people, and this is now coming from my experience with people coming to me for just an hourly session or a couple of hours, we sit down talk the business model through and then at some point they talk to me about their you know issues in the marriage or with their jobs or and yeah. sometimes are kind of kind of wanders off more towards being a bit of a psychotherapist you mm. know in a, in a way um, because you always have to contextualize and, and look at people um, in their current life situation right. and that's why I was also touching on you know that we work primarily with more mature people because yep. they obviously bring a bit more context to yep. To, to situation so and driving that back home now is actually I mean um, it's important that you know what you want in life and exactly go and get it then as well and it doesn't matter what age you are if you're 18 or 25 or 50 or 60 the guy of KFC started the business when he was you know past 60 so yep. it doesn't really matter as long as you do it and most people coming to us looking to start a business they're also looking for something else for a change they want to liberate themselves they want to be their own boss they want to you know make the dream work finally and and have have a life where they are in the driving seat for themselves and that is also an underlying motive i oftentimes see in, in people looking to start a business and it's important that you take out the time for yourself in order to discover yourself right otherwise you just live someone else's life and right. and that's not really you know maybe the best way forward i would say well i, I love that uh actually had looked at a quote this week uh, that talked about if you're if you don't build your dream, you'll be you'll find yourself building someone else's. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that that's just really it's a it's a nice bumper sticker, pithy, you know, statement. But it, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. So, yeah, Matt, thank you for uh, just just circling back with us. And and uh, thanks for I mean, we had a little technical difficulties a couple of weeks ago and we we actually had to reschedule the interview. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and I am I'm so thankful that uh both for your interview and and for you, you know, sending us Letitia as well, because mm -hmm. these have been great interviews and, and very engaging. And, and uh, we just look forward to, you know, our, our feeding our community with what mm -hmm. you've said and have our community feedback, because as we say every week, all boats rise in a rising tide. Matt, thanks <laughs> again. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.